Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have a jam-packed show for you. I'll have clips of a Zoom interview I was a part of with new Rochester Americans head coach Seth Thapper, the former RPI men's hockey coach. Then I'll speak with Times Union Center General Manager Bob Belver about the return of arena football to Albany next year. Finally, I'll talk with new Seattle Kraken team broadcaster Everett Fitzhugh, who is the NHL's first black team broadcaster. But first, week six of the Saratoga meet is in the books, and let's talk to our man at the track, the Gazette's Mike McGadden. Mike, welcome back, and how are things up at the track? Um, beautiful sunny day on Wednesday. It's more of the same, just to rub it in for all those poor fans that weren't allowed to uh, attend the races this year. The weather's been absolutely spectacular. We had a, um, this is on Wednesday, we had a cloud burst right before the cart started, but it lasted about five minutes, and it's, we're back to sunny and beautiful, so <laughs> not trying to rub, rub it in here, but just trying to report what's going on, yeah. <laughs> and the weather's part of it. Well, for the second straight week, Mike, we had another dominating performance at a big stakes race. This time it was the Alabama and Swiss Skydiver uh, cruised to the win. Yeah, and really looked good doing it. I mean, it was reminiscent of Tis the Law winning the Travers. Um, she won by three and a half lengths. She's really put together a, a nice record since January of this year. Kenny McPeak has been able to put together a full season campaign, you know, in, in you know, in the face of the pandemic and everything. She's been able to consistently run her since January, and she had a three race winning streak uh, starting in March through June. All graded stakes. She, they tried her against the boys in the uh, Bluegrass at Keeneland. And she finished second there to Art Collector in, in July. So she came back to three-year-old Philly division for the Alabama and won by three-and-a-half lengths. Um, and there was speculation that maybe she would run in the Kentucky Derby, but he, he said afterwards that, no, we're going to go to the Kentucky Oaks, but they will consider the Preakness after that. So potentially down the line, and, and we're pretty sure Tiz of the Law is going to go to the Preakness whether he wins the Derby or not. So potentially we could see the the best three-year-old filly in the country against the best three-year-old colt in the country. Um, but in the meantime, in that Kentucky Oaks race, it could be a real blockbuster matchup between Swiss Skydiver and Gamine. So, um, yeah, we got to see another really good three-year-old. This time it was a filly and, and winning in dominating fashion and a great one at Saratoga. Uh, so, But just, just real interesting campaign that they've been able to manage. I mean, she ran in January, February, March, May 1st. June 6th, July 11th, and then uh, August 15th in Saratoga. She's she's run at seven different racetracks in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six different states. Um, so she's been all over the map. She's handled the travel, travel beautifully, and, and she's going to be very interesting to watch in the, in the Oaks, and hopefully we'll get to see her in the Preakness, too. What kind of showdown would that be between uh, Tiz Law and uh, Swiss Skydiver in the, in the Preakness? It would be pretty amazing. It'll be it'll be interesting to see who 
Cole comes out of the Derby and runs back in the Preakness because um, he's going to run into Honor AP, Art Collector, Authentic, and who am I forgetting, um, uh, in the Derby first. And then, so it won't be, obviously it won't be a match race between Tizzle and Swiss Skydiver, but so there will be some, some other good horses in the Preakness. But it'd just be kind of interesting to see. Um, you know, like Rachel Alexandra ran in the Preakness. Uh, she, she, she won the... Um, Kentucky Oaks, and then was bought, and then they ran her in the Preakness, and she won that, and she also won the Haskell as a three-year-old. She also won the Woodward at Saratoga. So I'm, I'm not trying to compare Swiss Skydiver to um, Rachel Alexandra necessarily, but she does kind of fall in that same category where she has run against males, and they're considering running her in the Preakness. Um, so, I mean, I, I would pick Tis the Law. I'm not, I, I can't pick against him under any circumstances the whole rest of this year. But, um, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see her in there. Well, speaking of Tis Law, I guess uh, he's going to have his first breeze since winning the Travers? Yes, that'll be on Sunday, first thing in the morning. So we'll be there for that. Um, which means they, they said they, they probably get two breezes into him between the Travers and the Derby. So it'll, and I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do on Sunday. It'll probably be five furlongs because that's what they – that's what they kind of consistently did between uh, the Belmont and the Travers once they got them back into serious training for, for um, uh, published workouts. And so I, I suspect they'll do like a five, his usual five furlong, not be too aggressive with him, not ask, just let him do it in their 12 second furlong metronomic, you know, work <laughs> that he does, and then have a nice, good, strong gallop out. Um, so I'm not really expecting it to be like an, it'll to some sort of eye popping time, you know, for five furlongs. But it'll, you know, I think they'll settle for their usual piss the law professional, you know, powerful works that they uh, they that they get out of him on a consistent basis. Well, let's look ahead to uh, this weekend and uh, four star day is going to be run. Uh, the Philly got uh, stormy broke the track record in last year's race, and it's coming back. So what does that mean for this race? Well, it means that it's a big turf weekend um, for Saratoga. It's, it's kind of a quiet week after we had Whitney Week and Travers Week back-to-back, and, we, you know, you had that nice Alabama last week. It's kind of quiet. Um, but it's going to be a big turf weekend in graded stakes, and that means a, a whole lot of Chad Brown. Um, there's nine horses entered in the four-star Dave, and he's got four of them. Um, got Stormy is notable for the fact, as you mentioned, that she broke the, the, the course record in winning this mile race last year. Um, and she hasn't won yet in four starts this year. They have run her against males again um, in the poker, and I can't remember what the other one was, but um, they have run, them, run her twice against males this year, so that's nothing unusual. Um, but she's going to really have to step up her game because Chad Brown's got Raging Bull, Two-time Grade One winner. He's got Uni, who's the um, who was a turf female champion last year after winning the Breeders' Cup Mile race that uh, got Stormy finished second in. And he's got Without Parole, who finished third in that Breeders' Cup Mile. And he's just for the heck of it, he's got Valid Point in there, who was a Grade One winner as a three-year-old last year in the Secretary after coming over from Europe. So he just has a loaded, you know, four aces stacked hand for the four-star day. You've got Stormy is really up against it, just, just facing those, but also, she, like I said, she's won some pretty good races. 
course, we talked about last week about the training uh, title, and uh, Chad Brown was trailing at the, at the at that time. But now uh, it seems like he's back on, on top there. I mean, as we talked on on Wednesday here, obviously things could change. But I think a lot of the trainers were just realizing that Chad was probably going to win this thing anyway because he has a, a, a big stable of horses, and it's, this could be the weekend where maybe he pulls away. Yeah, it could be. Just I mean, he'll he's, you know he's got a live multiple live shots in both of those great one races this weekend. He going in through twenty four days going into the start of this week. He was tied with Todd Pletcher at eighteen and Christoph Lamont still hanging in there with sixteen and Michael Maker with fifteen. So it's kind of like pedal to the metal time for Chad. Uh, one thing I also wanted to mention coming up this weekend, but not at Saratoga is uh, Maximum Security is entered in the Pacific Classic at Del Mar, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. About final question for you, Mike, not horse racing related. Uh, Seth Apper will be up next on the podcast, uh, the former RPI coach. You're a big fan of the Rochester Americans. What did you think of the hire? I think it's great. I think You know, I think it's great for the fans of Rochester because Seth, as you well know, um, will fill up your notebook. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much coverage the Amherst get anymore, out there from the DNC, but uh, Seth, it, it, it was a very interesting hire, I, I would say, and uh, wish Seth the, all the best out there, my hometown team, because uh, um, you know he was always good to us in the media when he was here with RPI. So it'll be be interesting to see how he does out there. Um, but you know, it's kind of seeing two world worlds colliding for me. You know, a guy that I covered a little bit, but also you know my team growing up that we used to go to the games all the time at the War Memorial. Now it's the Blue Cross Arena. Um, so, and I, did a lot, I did see the one quote you had in there where he mentioned, um, you know, the rich history and tradition of the Amherst. And so it sounds like he's well aware of, you know, how long they've been around and how much success they've had and, and appreciates that, the, you know, kind of the legacy that they have. Yeah, there are actually a lot of reporters there, both TV and uh, newspapers, including some of the you know, people in Buffalo, uh, obviously with Buffalo Sabres uh, farm. Yeah, so right. It's, uh, it was a lot of, uh, it was a good half hour, 40 minute uh, Zoom call on, on Tuesday. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I got to ask a couple questions. I bet it was. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun to catch up with Seth. We'll have him, like I said, coming up here uh, in a couple minutes. But uh, Mike, appreciate you coming back on. And it's, hey, we're getting that home stretch now of Saratoga. We're winding it down. Well, I wouldn't say we're winding it down yet. We still have a couple weeks, and, you know, that, you know, couple interesting things. Those turf races coming up this weekend, uh, you know, it's going to be Chad Brown barn on display um, uh, is what I fully expect. So um, that'll seem like old times. All right, Mike, appreciate it. Uh, keep up the great work up there. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, thanks a million, Ken. All right, that's Mike McAdam coming up. Seth Appert, as I mentioned, the new Rochester Americans head coach and former RPI men's hockey coach. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Saratoga Horse Racing fans, want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to either an area eating establishment, hardware store, golf course, bookstore, or wine and liquor store. To see the list of establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette. To play, Go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. 
The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. On Tuesday, the Buffalo Sabres officially announced their new coach for their AHL affiliate, the Rochester Americans. It's a familiar person to Capital Region College hockey fans. Seth Appert, who coached the RPI men's hockey team for 11 seasons, is the new Americs head coach. It's his first pro head coaching job. After his firing by RPI in 2017, Appert has been coaching USA Hockey's national team development program. Appert was on a Zoom call Tuesday with reporters. I participated in the call, and I asked Appert if he ever thought about being a head coach in the pros. RPI... I, I had a couple conversations with teams about about a similar role that I'm in now uh, with Rochester. Um, I love college hockey, as you know. Uh, my family loved living in Niskayuna. When I made the switch uh, to USA, I think a couple things really got me excited about coaching pro. Uh, one was was making the switch to the national team, being around these elite young players, uh, the Jack Hughes's and the Joel Farabies and uh, Keandre Millers and you know, all these first um, draft picks, Oliver Wallstrom and Jake Sanderson this year, and and seeing that that it's no different. They want to be coached. They want to be challenged. They want to get better. And then the other thing would be, I had the, the privilege of, of being an assistant coach at the Men's World Championships back-to-back years, uh, where it's the NHL guys. So now it isn't the development kids. It's not the younger guys. Um, so you get to have the opportunity to present uh, pre-scouts and, and, and to give them information on Finland, Russia, Sweden to, to players like Patrick Kane and Anders Lee and, and all these NHL superstars. Uh, and to realize that, that no different, that they're, they're human beings. They want to have a relationship. They want to have that trust. They want the information that's going to make them a better player and make the team better. Um, so I think that those two things combined really got my mind thinking that, that coaching and pro would be the next challenge for me and something I got very excited about. Follow-up, um, you, you obviously in college and you're able to control, you, you keep track of where you, the players are because of they're in class and all that stuff. AHL, you may not be able to do that, but so how do you manage to balance, you know, obviously players have other things going on, not, not, obviously not class-related. Well, First of all, they're professionals, so you treat them like professionals. You don't treat them like kids. Um, these are pros. You have honest conversations if, if things aren't going the way you need them to go, but they're professionals, and, and you have to treat them and trust them as professionals. Um, and, it, and there's going to be certain uh, social things that they do with their families, with their teammates, whatever. My, my big thing is, is winning just needs to come first. Uh, winning and development needs to be the first thing on our, all of our minds, uh, from the players and the coaches to the support staff, everybody. Um, and, if, and if winning comes first, there, there's there's place for um, camaraderie and, and social opportunities to be teammates because that's also how you bond and, and build those those that team spirit that is critical to having success. During the call, Apper was asked about how his tenure at RPI ended. Adversity fuels growth, um, and, and that's what I – uh, took that moment for. I'm really proud of what we did at RPI. Most of the, the chunk of years we were there was extremely successful. Uh, NCAA tournament, highest finish in over 25 years in the ECAC, All-Americans, Hobie Baker finalists. Uh, at the end, it slipped. 
and, and that's on me. Uh, I'm the head coach. I believe I lost my sense of who I was as a head coach, what I want to be as in, in terms of a leader for our young men. Uh, I don't think I had as close of relationships with the group at the end as I did in the middle and at the beginning. Um, and I took that opportunity. Uh, coaches get fired, and it gives you a real opportunity to reset, to look in the mirror, uh, to get back to work, uh, and to change uh, the focus of who I wanted to be as a coach and get back to what my strengths really were. So at the program, at the national program, we, we really believe that adversity fuels growth. But they, the players face tremendous adversity in that 17 year and they're losing a lot uh and i looked at it the same as myself uh that adversity fueled growth in my coaching game uh and in my profession and i've used that to propel me forward he expanded on that later in the call oh how does that happen i think sometimes it can be stale over 11 years i think sometimes that at a program like rpi uh, there's so much that you do that isn't coaching that can grind you down that you don't even really realize. It's You have to fundraise tons of money to run it the way you need to run it. You have to build campus relationships to be able to get kids into a school of that caliber. You have to recruit probably seven times as many kids as premier programs need to to get the kids that you get to your program. Um, so there, you have to, you know, there's so many things that a program like RPI that doesn't have all these resources that the head coach falls, the, the responsibility falls upon the head coach, golf outings, all these things. Um, and I think I got bogged down by stuff like that, program building things that's important and lost sense of what is most important, which is people, uh, that, that the relationships, uh, the trust, uh, the, the, those trusting relationships you build with your players allow you to have honest hard conversations with them when they're not doing the things they need to do to be a great player, right? So uh, I lost that. Uh, and, and not for long. It was just at the end, uh, but I did. Um, and, and I think that uh, I realized that. And when I got the opportunity to join the under-18 team at the World Championships as an assistant coach originally, John Robleski added me in to, to go uh, help his staff uh, win a gold medal. And, and guys that are now they're borderline superstars in the NHL, like like Brady Kachuk and Quinn Hughes and, and Josh Norris and players like this. Um, how embracing they were of me, um, how excited they were to have another coach on board. Uh, that that kind of reinstilled my love and passion and got me kind of reset uh, on what I want to be as a coach. Later in the call, I asked Appert what it would be like getting ready for the season, which won't start on time because of the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, it's, everything's different this year, right? Yeah. I mean, for everybody. Uh, so it's, it's hard to predict. Um, so you just have to prepare. I mean, I think that the first uh, couple months after the season shut down, uh, I found myself to be very productive um, uh, on coaching Zooms uh, with NHL coaches and trying to open my mind and reading different books on different philosophies of coaching Soccer, I studied uh, the, the Dutch national, uh, sorry, excuse me, the Belgium national soccer team and how they've risen to number one. Tried to make use of productive time, uh, but then it starts to be like, man, when are we ever going to start again, right? So, uh, you know, you just have to, right now it's going to get busy again. Now with this new change, uh, we need to hire assistant coaches. I need to start to get to know the player pool. I need to start to get to know the players. Um, so I'll spend a lot of the next couple months, I need to get on the, 
even more on the same page with Ralph and his staff. I think Ralph and I philosophically are very aligned as people and as hockey coaches. Uh, we felt that during the process. Uh, but but now to really dig in at the nuts and bolts of, of how we want to play as part of the Buffalo Sabres organization and uh, making sure that as much as possible, uh, it can be a seamless transition for our players when they get called up from Rochester and they have to go in and, and deliver for the Buffalo Sabres. That's Seth Appert. I want to thank Amrick Senior Director of Public and Media Relations, Walter Kozer, for inviting me on the call. Up next, Arena Football is returning to Albany next year. I'll speak with Times Union General Manager Bob Belber about that. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. The Arena Football League closes doors after filing for Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which meant the end of the Arena Bowl champion Albany Empire. But there was some good news last Thursday when it was announced that Albany will have a franchise in the National Arena League that will play at Times Union Center. To talk about that is the general manager of the Times Union Center, Bob Belber. Uh, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ken. Looking forward to it. I appreciate you coming on. I mean, how happy are you uh, that the arena, uh, that arena football is coming back? Well, we're, we're really happy that it's coming back, being as though this market had the greatest fans within the AFL, and we were the uh, arena football champions of the Arena Bowl uh, with over 12,000 people in attendance. Um, it, it was something that we didn't want to let go. We wanted to make sure that we could bring football back. Yeah, you had that momentum last, you know, the, the bringing back the, the Arena Football of the Empire. Uh, they, they had great two years, uh, you know, culminating with the championship uh, just about a year ago uh, this month. Uh, but then when the announcement came that they were, you know, folding up shop, were you caught off guard by that, or did you have a feeling that, was, that wasn't uh, going to happen? I think everybody was caught off guard. I certainly was. I, I had no idea that there was any kind of issues at all. In fact, I was at a conference uh, down in, in Nashville, and uh, I got a email from somebody that had sent me a copy of a timesunion.com story about the ceasing of operations of the AFL League, and I was about to go into a meeting and just about dropped the phone. So uh, it was a surprise to all of us, uh, and uh, it wasn't anything that... Um, you know, I certainly can't point blame to the uh, owners at the time, or at least the local owners, uh, because you know they they were great to work with, and and they helped us get the team to begin with. Uh, but the league itself and the league office, I guess, had some issues, and uh, the attendance in some of the other markets uh, were nowhere near the attendance that we had in Albany. You know, with with Albany not having Major League Baseball or NFL or, or other 
professional sports teams, we, I think it helps us a great deal because this is our team. You know, this is our pro team, Arena Football. And that's why uh, we, we do 10,000-plus on, on these game nights. Uh, but in some of the other markets, you know, they like Baltimore and others, they have other pro teams, and, and they were doing 2,500 to 3,000 per game, and it just didn't work. Um, what about this ownership group? It's uh, owners that are also own the Orlando Predators in this league, uh, uh, Ron Tradico and uh, Nate Starling. And Nate Starling is an upstate New York resident. Uh, what do they bring to the table here in, for the Albany franchise? Well, I, first of all, I like, I like uh, Ron Tredico a lot. You know, you know, I've been talking to him now for about the last two and a half months, and um, I've learned a lot about him. I've researched a lot about him. Uh, he's doing over $250 million a year in various business lines uh, outside of football, and uh, you know, he's very much involved with LED lighting and warehouses all over the country. And, you know, he's got a lot of other business interests, and and yet he's got a passion for arena football and wants to grow this league. And uh, and as a by the way, uh, and really this is for those people that are concerned or maybe concerned about the level of play in the NAL. Um, and I'm I'm not concerned at all. And here's why: the AFL players that uh, all were were playing at that top level of arena football are now playing in the NAL. And, and so the level of football in the NAL is just as good as it was in the AFL. In fact, uh, I know there's some discussions going on currently between uh, the new owner, Ron Tredico, and Nate Starling, as well as uh, Coach Keefe, who was the, our head coach of the team uh, that won the Arena Bowl last year. And, and I believe they've also been in conversations with uh, quarterback uh, Tom Grady. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, if we can bring back the coach and the quarterback and as many players as we possibly can from the championship team last year, that, which was in the AFL, and have them compete in the NAL uh, with these other cities that have recently joined. And, and you know, the NAL is growing. So they just added Tampa and Louisville, and uh, they've got Orlando, Jacksonville. Uh, they just added Baltimore. So it's a growing league, and uh, I think – we're going to see something very similar to the product that we had last year. And I think our fans will come out again and, and support it, especially after we've been kind of cooped up and, you know, been inside. And, and uh, let's all hope this vaccine comes out by the end of this year and, and we get back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah, I mean, what, what's going to be, if, even if we do get back to some normalcy, will there be some crowd distancing, social distancing? Uh, I mean, I don't know, can you have... 10,000 fans, uh, 12,000 fans in, in the Times Union Center, uh, at least at the start of the season? Well, the start of the season at this point is looking like April, although they may decide at some point uh, to delay it a little bit. Uh, you know, timing is everything. So uh, we will work with the uh, authorities, with the state government uh, and the county uh, health department and, and county exec's office to ensure that everyone is comfortable um, and I, I think there's going to be a certain amount of um, uh, analysis and review, let's call it, uh, once the vaccine actually is being distributed and, and it's being given out to people. Um, you know, there's going to probably be a requirement for continued testing and, and uh, there'll be some mandates for people to get vaccinated, no doubt. Uh, and so once there's a sense that majority of the public has probably been vaccinated, um, I think it'll be a lightening up of the requirements for social distancing. 
we do have models that we've already produced for social distance seating that would allow uh, families or groups to be able to sit together and then have uh, a six-foot distancing be- between them and the next seats that would be occupied and seats between being covered. Uh, and that's the same kind of a model that we've produced for Siena basketball, which we hope to be able to use uh, and still waiting for approval from the state. Uh, but we'll do what it takes to be able to keep people safe and make sure they're wearing masks and temperature checks and very similar to just about anywhere else that has gone through the same process uh, until such time that we don't have to do it anymore. And, and the other thing is the season ticket deposits. And I think this is very important because Ron Trudico, the owner of the, of the uh, team, and, and Nate Sterling, uh, and I, right from the get-go, we said, look, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I really appreciate the fact that we'll start playing as soon as the league can play. Albany will have a team and it will play. But we want to be able to be transparent about it. And just as my contract with between the Times Union Center and the owners has uh, a clause that allows the deposits that they're prepaying, which are non-refundable, uh, if the season can't take place and the Albany team can't play, that deposit is going to be rolled over to the 2022 season. Same thing on the season tickets. They'll, they'll be uh, asking people if they want to secure their seats. They'll be uh, allowing them to put a deposit down. And uh, if they play, then they'll expect the balance and people will be able to enjoy their seats and so forth. Um, and then the only issue there is whether there's a social distance requirement or not. But if season doesn't play and the whole league doesn't play, then their deposits can either be refunded at their request or they can be rolled over to the 2022 season. So we're going to this totally transparent and, and totally with the goodwill of trying to have football in Albany and making sure that the fan is kept whole and, uh, and has the opportunity to enjoy what they love to see. What about block parties? I mean, obviously that's a popular uh, thing before, uh, before the games. Uh, I mean, is that going to be uh, maybe up in the air at this point? Right now, we're planning it as though they're going to happen, and that uh, the social distancing uh, by that time will hopefully be uh, relieved. Uh, having said that, uh, the plans will be such that they can, uh, you know, be changed. And um, I think everybody is used to the words uh, "fluid" and, and, and you know, subject to change uh, with this pandemic. But uh, we are planning on having these block parties, and, and the owners. Um, know that it's such an essential part of uh, presenting arena football. You know, that, that part of it is extremely important. They want the players to be able to be accessible. They want the dance teams and so forth. Very similar to management last year. Uh, it'll be run almost identical, and uh, there'll be autograph sessions. And You know, the ability to continue to have those uh, interactions between fans and, and players is going to be key. One thing that is different, uh, Ken, is, uh, there are no nets in the end zones, uh, so you know that part of the game is a little bit different. Um, so they, there's no live action off of a net in the end zone. Wow. Having said having said that, they um, have about 45 to 50 balls that go into the crowds uh, on a nightly basis. So there are many many more souvenirs that kids and families are being able to take home, and uh, and the action on the field is just as as fun and fierce as it was last year. Well, I know being at the Arena Bowl uh, Championship last year, that's actually my first Arena game ever. 
I mean, I had a blast just watching it from uh, the one end zone, and it's an exciting game. And I, yeah, I, I can understand the passion for the the fans and the enjoyment of it. Plus, I got three of my uh, uh, boyhood heroes, Ron Jaworski, so I was happy about that. So, <laughs> uh, the yeah. yeah, the economic impact. What does it mean for downtown Albany? Well, you know, the downtown businesses are uh, chomping at the bit for this. That they're really happy that uh, arena football is coming back. Bars and restaurants and retail are are really um, thoroughly happy it's coming back. Uh, more people will be employed, um, but the economic impact on a season to season basis um, can be anywhere between. It, it really depends on how many overnights and how many fans are traveling by the other from the other teams. Uh, but uh, we estimate it's anywhere between nine and twelve million dollars a year, um, based on uh, all the spending that takes place, and and that that includes at the arena as well as uh, travel and lodging and so forth for the teams and everybody traveling with them. Last question for you: uh, What's the nickname going to be? I mean, obviously we've had the Firebirds, the Conquest, Empire. What's it going to be? Uh, you know they're still trying to trying to decide that they've got. Uh, I believe they've got rights to both names at this point. Uh, uh, they've got Firebirds and, and Empire uh, IP rights. Name you know the names that they can choose from. Um, I know my preference. You know I'll, I'll say that I, I would prefer to see them keep it the Empire because I think it's been uh, you know a great run that the Empire had, and, and I, especially if you bring back the head coach and, and quarterback and players. You know how, how great it would be to just have that continue and just be in a different league. Uh, but you know, whatever they decide, if they go with the Firebirds, that's fine with me. Uh, at this point, it's not decided. But uh, great thing is we've got it coming back, and you know it's signed and sealed, and uh, you know, we can look forward to it. I'll throw one out there just to, oh, for hockey's sake, the River Rats. Man, I know you can't get that, but that's a that was a heck of a name back in the day. <laughs> well, you probably remember. You know that, that was the best logo, number one logo in the AHL was the Albany River Rats, uh, and and that was a pretty cool name, cool logo, um, that was a great run, you know, I think we had hockey for, what was it, 19 or 20 years, yeah. um, and, and frankly, I would love to see hockey come back, we just don't have any current uh, owner that, that would like to uh, bring a team back, but we would welcome a team back with the right owner and the right deal. Well, I lied about it. I do have one more question when you bring up hockey. Let's talk about the NCAAs. With, you were supposed to have the hockey. You were supposed to have the basketball uh, this year. Obviously, you got canceled because of the pandemic. Uh, has the NCAA reached out, or you have, have you reached out to the NCAA about uh, bringing those events back? Maybe not next year, but maybe 2023. Uh, the answer to that is yes. 2022, I should say. Yes. 2022, I'm sorry. Uh, well, at 22, the earliest we could do hockey would be 22, um, and we have submitted a bid for that. Uh, we'd like like to bring that back, especially since we were planning on hosting it here in 2020. Uh, and then 23 would be the first year for basketball, uh, and we have submitted uh, a bid for that. We hope to get that back as well. Uh, we were communicating with the NCAA just yesterday on this issue, so uh, they are going to make recommendation to their uh, championship committee in October for all the dates in the new bid cycle uh, on uh, a litany of different sports, you know, including basketball and hockey and volleyball and uh, fencing, various other things. And we have submitted bids for between the Times Union Center and the Albany Capital Center uh, on uh, multiple different types of sports. Well, 
Well, Bob, appreciate a few minutes talking arena football. Uh, congratulations on getting it back, and uh, we'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, Ken. Doing right. a great job. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's Bob Belber. Coming up, I'll speak with new Seattle Kraken broadcaster Everett Fitzhugh, who is the NHL's first black broadcaster. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. Hi, I'm UAlbany women's lacrosse coach Katie Rowan Thompson. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Seattle Kraken will be released on the NHL for the 2021-22 season. The team recently made an historic hire with the first black broadcaster in the NHL. He has been broadcasting the ECHL Cincinnati Cyclones and has also called games of Bowling Green Hockey. Here is Everett Fitzhugh. Everett, now welcome to the podcast, and congratulations on getting the job in Seattle. Thanks, Ken. I, I really appreciate uh, the, the warm words there and the congratulations. I've uh, been a big fan of, of your work for a while, so this is, uh, this is a big honor to, to be joining you here today. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for stroking my ego. It's just kind of nice that <laughs> not too many people get to <laughs> say that. So uh, let me ask you, Everett, to be obviously the first uh, black NHL announcer to call games. We don't know, and you don't know it's radio or TV yet, correct? No, no, the role is still very, very fluid. Um, I I know that I'm going to be on the broadcast team, but um, they're still figuring out the broadcast deals and things like that. So it's it's still a TBD role, but I will be a part of that broadcast team in some capacity. Do you feel like a pioneer? Um, you know, I've been asked that question quite a bit, and I think over these past couple of weeks, it's really hit me um, that I'm in a position to do something very special and, and to be in that uh, in that pioneering role. Um, I don't think anybody ever really sets out to be a trailblazer, but I mean, if, if you find yourself in a position where you can help bring up that next generation, you can help mentor and, and lead by example. I, I think you owe it to a resp- uh, you owe a responsibility to that group and, and, and to that that uh, group behind you to, to help bring them up. So it's it's something that I embrace. That I, I'm very proud to be able to say that I now can can be what I never had. Uh, I never had that uh, a lot of influences growing up in terms of, of black figures in hockey. Um, I, I had Mike Greer and Anson Carter and, and George Barack as players growing up, but nowadays you're seeing a lot more players, a lot more broadcasters, media figures. You've even got coaches now, uh, black coaches in the NHL. So you're seeing a lot more people in those roles, and for me to be able to, to be just one more face that can help let uh, black kids know and, and let uh, different groups who normally wouldn't feel that hockey is for them, letting them know that there is a place for them in this game. 
reading uh, your uh, story in the uh, M Live uh, about you, uh, uh, you grew up in, in Detroit. Uh, obviously, Red Wings are you know, a big part of your uh, life and a big, you know, big successful franchise in the '90s, winning yeah. a couple of cups. What what got you interested in hockey? Um, it was back in, in elementary school, third grade. Uh, you know, all of my friends in my class, they were hockey fans. A few of them played hockey. Um, you know, I, I think I was a Red Wings fan just by default because they were the hometown team. So anytime you're, you're eight, nine years old, you're a front runner. It doesn't matter who it is. They were winning, so they're my team. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, I, I was watching that, uh, that game, the Oilers and the Red Wings, the one night at home, and, and I saw my career in George the Rock, and, you know, I, I was screaming through the house, like, Mom, Mom, there's two black guys on TV, there's two black guys, they, they, they're playing hockey, and it was, it was just so comforting and so inspirational for me to, to see, um, you know, black faces playing well and, and at the highest level of hockey, and, and those two, and then you couple that with Anson Carter, who joined the league, a few, or the Oilers a few years later, obviously the likes of Jerome McGinley, Freddie Brathwaite, Kevin Weeks, who is now the face uh, of the NHL, or NHL Network, all of those those people really helped shape my love and, and my passion for the sport of hockey as a fan, um, and, and that's what did it, uh, and I think the Red Wings winning those back-to-back cups in the late 90s and the, the fantastic rivalry between them and the Colorado Avalanche, that didn't hurt uh, <laughs> me getting into hockey at all. So all of those things kind of coupled together really uh, fanned the flames and, and fueled my passion and my love for the game of hockey. Well, the Red Wings swept out my Flyers in 1997, so I wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, again, like I said, I would have been eight years old, so I, I vaguely remember watching that series. But, again, I, I couldn't tell you who won or, or, you know, what the scores were, but the Red Wings won. I was eight years old, so as far as I was concerned, I was a Red Wings fan and I was a hockey fan uh, until I, I got into the sport, you know, a few years later. Did you... Get any resistance when you wanted to you say you wanted to call hockey games? Was there you know, at Bowling Green or with the Cyclones? Uh, was there ever any resistance of, of you doing it? No, no, and, and that's one thing that, that, that I've really been fortunate that uh, in my career is that everyone that I've come across from obviously my mother and, and my family and my friends and um, but even my colleagues and, and coworkers and my bosses and, and ownership groups and. Anybody that I've ever come across has been nothing but kind and encouraging and welcoming. Uh, no one has ever said you can't do this from that perspective. Um, you know, there, there's there have been the comments from fans and and things like that, but those are few and far between, and, and you can block that noise out. But everybody that I've ever come in contact with um, sees me as as an equal. They see me as you know, oh, he, he's he's good for a black guy. That that's not how they see me. They see me as somebody who is competent in this industry, who um, they feel can go a long way in this industry. They have the confidence and the belief in me uh, that whatever job that I've gotten, I was the right person for that job. So that's been something that I, I've really been happy and fortunate with because I know other black uh, players in hockey um, have not had that same experience um, with with their teams and, and with the people around them. So I've been very, very fortunate that no one's ever told me no uh, from a professional level, from, uh, on a colleague side. And, and again, obviously, you know, friends and family, you know, they, they've been my biggest 
supporters and cheerleaders up front ever since I started getting into broadcasting when I was in college. I know we chatted a little bit earlier in the week about uh, if you had been at Union uh, when Bowling Green was there, but obviously you weren't uh, looking doing the research. But how much did you learn uh, at Bowling Green uh, with uh, with the broadcasting aspect of it? Uh, without Bowling Green, uh, we're not having this conversation right now. Um, that is that is where I fell in love with broadcasting. That is where I, I became more than a hockey fan. Um, that is where I fell in love with, with working in media and being in a part of the hockey media. So that's where I, I, I honed my craft and sharpened the tool, so to speak. So for me, it was huge um, to be able to, to not only be a color analyst for three years for the hockey team, but then be play-by-play announcer at Bowling Green for three years. I worked in the, uh, the sports information office as a volunteer and as an intern my last couple of years. I helped put together media guides things like that. So being able to see the, the backside of sports and, and the, the administrative, the corporate side, if you will, all of those skills that I learned at Bowling Green really helped me get to where I am today. I mean, they helped me to my position with the USHL, which helped me to my position in Youngstown, which helped me to Cincinnati. And obviously my last five years in Cincinnati have now led me to a position with the Seattle Kraken. I look at the picture that was on the, on the M Live. uh, Web page of your story, and I, I, I sense excitement there. I, uh, what is your style going to be like? You know, you can ask any Bowling Green fan or any fan that's listened to me now over the past decade, and, and the one thing, or family, friends, my fiance for that matter, my mom will tell you the one thing that I'm not short on is excitement and volume. So um, I'm very excited. I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, there are a lot of great NHL broadcasters that I try and take bits and pieces from. And, um, you know, I look at the likes of, of a Jim Houston, uh, a, a Jack Michaels in Edmonton, uh, obviously Doc Emmerich, uh, Bowling Green grad, and, and um, you know, the voice of hockey in America. So being able to, to take bits and pieces and, and, and help uh, find your voice by listening to other voices is, is how I've developed my style and again I, I understand that we as radio broadcasters have a unique job uh, we have to keep you interested we have to keep people interested in the game and um, it, it, it's easy to turn the TV on and, and you can see what happens but you have to try and hold folks attention when, when you're on the radio so being as descriptive as possible being as excited as possible people can't see it you have to paint the picture for them and that is one of the, the biggest challenges but one of the biggest reasons why i love the radio play-by-play side of things and that's also one of the main reasons why i have the style that i do seattle obviously has hockey has hockey uh, history uh, with the western hockey league uh, and before yeah. that, over, over a century ago, the NHL was there. Uh, the Metropolitans won the Stanley Cup in 1917. And unfortunately, two years later, they were involved in the uh, 1919 Cup that was never completed because of uh, an influenza outbreak. What's, what's the yeah. uh, atmosphere like in Seattle? Obviously, you know, they lost the Supersonics years ago. And they don't really have a, a winter sports team. Can, can, they, can the uh, Kraken really grab hold of the market in there? They already have. Um, everyone that I've spoken with, um, uh, they, they flew me out for uh, my final interview out to Seattle. And just the passion and the excitement that everybody has for this team and, and for NHL professional hockey returning to the Seattle area um, is, 
it's so thick. It's so huge up there how excited people are. Um, my fiance came with me on the trip, and we were looking for apartments and driving around town, and, and everyone, and this was before they actually officially announced the name, but everybody had NHL Seattle flags all over the place. Um, we, you know, people were, were like, you know, we have a brand new hockey team coming, right? You know, the NHL is coming to Seattle. Um, so people are excited. The organization is, is doing everything to, to get this community involved. They are so, even with COVID, uh, everything that they've been doing is about the fans, is about trying to drum up as much support and, and whip this, this community into a frenzy. And I think that what we as an organization have is a rare opportunity. You now have a three-year runway from 2018 up until next fall to get the community involved, to make your stamp on this community before the puck even drops. Um, and everyone, you can see all the success that Las Vegas had when they announced their rollout. But now with Seattle, you have a longer time to even do more and, and, and to find ways to do things better in some instances to, to help get that um, excitement there and to help get that support there. So this team has already uh, sold out of season ticket deposits. There is a 30,000, I believe, 35,000 person wait list already for season ticket deposits. Um, you know, it's just everything that they're doing is is centered around community and centered around, you know, a, a, a loud and triumphant return of the NHL to Seattle. Well, we can't wait until the Kraken is released uh, in 2021. It's going to be a lot of fun. Everett, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at The Voice Fits. T-H-E-V-O-I-C-E-F-I-T-Z. So the voice fits is where I'm at on Twitter. Um, very, very uh, active on Twitter. No Instagram yet. People keep telling me that I should uh, I should get an Instagram, but uh, it's something that uh, I never felt like I took enough photos for it. But Twitter is where you can find me, and I love interacting with people. I love liking and retweeting and all of that stuff. So if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to interact with me, you can find me on Twitter. Well, Everett, I appreciate a few minutes, and again, congratulations. This is a very exciting time for you and for the NHL, and good luck, and uh, we'll keep in contact. Absolutely, Ken. Thank you so much for the opportunity here, man. I had a really good time. All right, I appreciate it. That's Everett Fitzhugh. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. 
Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you. Be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is reopened, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. I want to send out my condolences to the family of New Haven Register sports writer Chip Malafronte, who passed away from cancer last week at the age of 48. Among the beach Chip was covering was Yale and Quinnipiac hockey. I got to see Chip during my years covering Union hockey. He was always outgoing and was very committed to the beat. We covered the memorable five-overtime game between Union and Yale in 2006 at Messerink. He was not at Messerink four years later when Quinnipiac and Union had a five-overtime game, but I know we would have had a laugh had he been there. Chip got to cover the ultimate NCAA hockey championship game in 2013 when Yale and Quinnipiac met. Yale won the title that year. Chip's passing is a loss for everyone who knew him. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Mike McAdam, Seth Appert, Bob Belber, and Everett Fitzhugh for being on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.